College Football Today. Oh, we are roaring into week number three with a top 25 ACC battle later today in Louisville. Number three, Clemson. Number 14, Louisville. Can the Clemson defense contain Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson? Rock and Ritz Sermonello, this is what it's all about. And this game has playoff implications, possibly for a national championship. Joe, we have the defending Heisman Trophy winner versus the defending national champs. I think it's kind of interesting, too, because for a lot of the offseason, we sort of diverted our attention away from Lamar Jackson, didn't finish last year strong, struggled in the bowl game against LSU. And we did the same thing with Clemson because Clemson no longer had Deshaun Watson. Florida State was the trendy pick out of the ACC. Now these two entities, Lamar and Clemson, take center stage with an opportunity to say, you may have forgotten us in the offseason, but we're going to remind you why we were so good in 2016. Well, that was a top 25 game last year where Clemson won 42-36. to It will be a blackout in Papa John Stadium. So we'll see how that game plays out a little bit later today. Rich and I will be with you for the next three hours. We have a big show planned for you today at 1024 Eastern, 724 Pacific. We'll will be joined by former Texas wide receiver B.J. Johnson. We'll get B.J.'s take about the Longhorns and Tom Herman. Can they strike the, strike the upset on the road in the Coliseum against Sam Donald? At 11.24, we'll be joined by former LSU running back and 2003 BCS Bowl MVP Justin Vincent. We'll get Justin's take about LSU on the road in Starkville. Can they knock off Mississippi State and Nick Fitzgerald? They've won 23 of the last 25 games at 10:40. We'll be joined by Gabe Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci. We'll get his big uh, uh, picks for the college football uh, week three matchup. The early 12 and 3:30 kicks. He'll join us at 11:40, 8:40 on the West Coast. We'll get Gabe's take about the later games later today. But Rich, we saw Hurricane Irma have some effects on the Florida programs. Unfortunately, uh, really bad circumstances in the state of Florida. Teams like Florida State, Florida affected even. USF, but Charlie Strong and the crew with a dominating victory last night over Big Ten opponent Illinois and Lovey Smith. Yeah, I, I was impressed, Joe, because you know South Florida in the first couple of games struggled a little bit against San Jose State. You know, Stony Brook not that impressive. Then they got an opportunity, their only opportunity all season, to face a Power 5 program and really impressed. And that was an Illinois team that defeated Western Kentucky a week earlier. So South Florida just dominant offensively, 38 first downs led by Quinton Flowers. So whatever jitters, whatever rust or inconsistency they had in the first couple of weeks, last night they look like the team that we think could represent the group of five in a New Year's Six Bowl game. They look like a team that wanted to play football. They couldn't wait to get out there and really dominate a, a, an undermanned Illinois team. Now we have to see Florida at home in the swamp yeah. play SEC opponent Tennessee that hasn't won there since 2003. So we'll see how that game plays out a little bit later today, 3.30 Eastern. We're just getting started. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Since 1995, Real-Time Fantasy Sports has been the most trusted site in the fantasy industry. 
home to an award-winning commissioner service, and endless money leagues offered at a variety of formats and skill levels, rtsports.com is the only destination for the fantasy player who wants it all. Plus, RT Sports offers the most reliable and quickest payouts for any level of fantasy player. Do you like trades? Well, yeah. Do you hate trades? Yeah, yeah, sure. Want a league for just three weeks? No problem. RTSports.com offers it all. And to ease the gameplay for all kinds of players, we're optimized for desktop, phone, or your tablet, making it simple to play wherever, whenever. Ready to get started? Head to RTSports.com slash lobby to check out all the games we have to offer and sign up to play today. RTSports.com. Everything a fantasy player could ever want under one award-winning roof. Back on College Football Today, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34. We're going to be breaking down the top games later today. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You can follow me on Twitter, at GoForTheTwo. You can follow Rich on Twitter, at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Rich, let's jump right into it. Best game of the day, yep. number three, Clemson, number 14, Louisville. This is a game where Clemson's won the last three by five points per game. Last year in Death Valley, they escaped with a 42-36 victory where Louisville was in the red zone and had an opportunity to pull off the upset. You know, I went into this season not knowing exactly what to expect from either program. Clemson, no Deshaun Watson. They've had some changes on offense, lost some uh, key skill position players. But, you know, the same thing about Louisville. It wasn't exactly what to, to expect because Louisville was so hot at the beginning of 2016. That was when Lamar Jackson really won his Heisman Trophy. But then they skidded to the finish line. They had the, the really poor finish against Houston, rival Kentucky, laid an egg against LSU in the bowl game. So I'm still a little bit curious what to expect from both teams. This is an epic game. From an offensive standpoint with Lamar's speed versus that defense of Clemson, 11 sacks last week against Auburn. Brent Venables has done a remarkable job. Let's remember, Joe, I know you're a historian. Let's go back a couple of years ago. This was a Clemson defense that in a bowl game against West Virginia gave up, what, 70 points? And that's what led to the to the hiring of Brent Venables. They've been fantastic ever since. Yeah, much to your point, I mean, th- four, three years ago, they were the number one ranked statistical defense in college football, only allowing 261 total yards per game. They lost eight starters from that group and came back to go to the national championship game with guys like Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd. They had 48 sacks. They lost another six starters from that defense. They reloaded yet again. Yeah. For 49 sacks last year, and and I told you on last week's show, three straight years now, 27% third down conversions holding opposing offenses. That's the key to the matchup for me. It's more, I I break this game down like a team in Clemson going up against a one-man show in Louisville because to me, that's the way I break this game down. The way Lamar Jackson creates is like any other quarterback we've seen in college football uh, until Michael Vick. I mean, really, uh, but... 
as he goes, so does that Louisville offense. And he's going to need a big game tonight. And Clemson's going to have to maintain gap integrity to win this ballgame. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I like the Louisville program outside of Lamar Jackson. I don't love it, though. There's not a lot of superstar talent on either side of the ball. Dair Alexander, the cornerback, Stacey Thomas, the linebacker. There are exceptions in terms of true all-ACC players. That is a bad offensive line, or at best, a mediocre offensive line. 47 sacks allowed last year, 22 over the final three games of 2016. And when you face a Clemson defense, listen, they've gone up against Purdue and North Carolina. These are a couple of middling defenses that, like, I'm taking nothing away from Lamar Jackson. He's the most dynamic player in college football, and to your point, might, might, might be the most dynamic player since Michael Vick, but a one-man gang against Clemson, I just don't think is going to be enough. And and in terms of keys, I'll flip sides of the ball, Joe. I need to see more from Kelly Bryant because as impressive as Clemson was against Auburn last weekend, the offense was average. They need to stretch the field a little bit more. He hasn't been able to do it. Louisville, good against the run struggles against the pass, so it's going to be incumbent upon Kelly Bryant, Clemson's quarterback, to get the ball in the hands of Deion Kane, Ray Ray McLeod, Hunter Renfro, stretch the defense of Louisville, because if this gets into a track meet, that's going to be advantage Louisville. Yeah, I could see that, and th- and that's what I was going to say about Louisville's game plan going into, into this matchup against Clemson's defense, because you look at the game last year against Houston, Houston was able to sack Lamar Jackson 11 times. They brought pressure from the outside linebacker position, even from safeties to get pressure on Lamar Jackson. That's what Clemson's going to do, but that's going to create one-on-one matchups on the outside for wide receiver Jalen Smith and those younger players, guys like Fitzpatrick and Dawkins. There's a lot of inexperience at the wide receiver position for Louisville. Can they win those one-on-one matchups on the outside for me will dictate whether they win this ballgame later today. Yeah, and, and I don't think so. I mean, I have a respect for Louisville and Bobby Petrino. They do a good job of recruiting speed, particularly from the state of Florida. But that inexperience against that Clemson defense, which reloads so quickly, that we know what they could do up front with Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. And we didn't even talk about Austin Bryant. And he had four sacks last weekend. I mean, that's the kind of depth in the rotation that Clemson has. But their speed in the back seven, they have regrouped very, very quickly at linebacker and in the secondary. Lamar Jackson has taken a step in the right direction. It's clear to me he's more sure in the pocket. He's showing better fundamentals as, as a passer. Less of that sort of happy feet in the pocket. He's staying put. He's maturing as a quarterback. He's becoming closer to an NFL-style quarterback. But I think this is a guy I still think defenses win championships, and that's why I favor Clemson in what should be a fourth straight close game between these two teams. Yeah, I think Clemson wins this matchup by double digits. I really do. I think when you look at the two games that Louisville has played now against Purdue and North Carolina, like you said, they're not top-flight defenses, and their ability to run sideline to sideline, not like Clemson. I think it does come down to third-down defense now. Clemson held Jared Stidham and that offense last week 6 of 18 third down conversions for me that's going to be the key can they put Lamar Jackson into third down and long situations where he becomes one dimensional you look at Jalen Smith now he's having a fantastic season already 17 receptions 300 receiving yards but again this is a team in Louisville that did lose their top three leading wide receivers from last year so that matchup is what I want to see play out and I'll say it again 
Dabo Sweeney doesn't get enough credit. He's a big game head coach. I mean, everybody talks about Nick Saban, and rightfully so. But I think you have to put Dabo Sweeney in there because all he does is step up. He knocks off teams like Louisville, Florida State, Auburn, Oklahoma in back-to-back years. I mean, this is a guy that has recruited much like Nick, Nick Saban has in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, no, I, I think the number is six straight wins over top 25 opponents. That's what Dabo Sweeney has been able to do. It begins with with recruiting. But a lot of teams recruit talent, and a lot of teams recruit pedigree and speed. What Damo and his staff have been able to do is they've been able to instill a winning attitude. Clemson expects to win these big games. This is a tough setting. You mentioned the blackout. Papa John's will be going nuts at night. One of the biggest games in the history of Louisville football. You have the most electrifying player, a right-handed Michael Vick in Lamar Jackson. So the scene will be nuts. And yet I think Clemson is able to rise to the task. A lot will hinge on Kelly Bryant. I think they need to run the ball better, too. They're going to have right. to establish the run with C.J. Fuller, Tavian Feaster, Adam Choice. They have the backs, but they've got to take some of the pressure off of Kelly Bryant. They don't want this to become Kelly Bryant versus Lamar Jackson. They will lose that battle. But at the end of the day, I think close game, fourth quarter, the defending national champs find a way to pull it out. I agree with you 100%. They cannot get into a shootout with Lamar Jackson because of the inexperience of Kelly Bryant, especially on the road. I think the the nucleus around him has played very well and has brought him up to a level. I will say this about the team overall, Clemson. Last week in Death Valley, that game was very close. They fell behind 6 nothing. Much like their former quarterback, Deshaun Watson, that got his first win last week in Cincinnati, calm under pressure the team is calm under pressure they they've never... been there joe they've been there they know how to win titles you cannot put a price on that kind of an intangible they are relaxed they don't feel the pressure they don't panic the coaching staff doesn't panic the players don't panic that's what you get when you win titles whether it's league titles or in this case a national championship That is worth its weight in gold, and that's something that Dabo and his staff can lean on week after week when they have tough games. Watch out for Deion King in this matchup. He's been a little bit under the radar. Ray Ray McLeod leads that team with nine receptions. Hunter Renfro, the possession receiver, has 11. But this is the type of game that Deion Kane really steps up and I think exploits that Louisville secondary. And that's a good matchup. I like to talk a lot of times about man-to-man matchups. NFL scouts are watching. Jair Alexander who I think has a high ceiling, but I watched a lot of tape of him in the offseason, can still bite on fakes, could still be a little bit raw in coverage. And Deion Kane is the kind of player that can blow up a secondary. So I, I could picture a little bit of a pump fake out of Kelly Bryant and Deion Kane getting behind J- uh, Jair Alexander and winning that battle. And that would really help to loosen up the running game and take some of the pressure off of the Clemson offense. Now, much to your point about uh, Lamar Jackson, he has progressed as a pocket passer. Three years ago, he was 54% completion percentage. Last year, 56. Entering this matchup, he's completing 64% of his passes. 771 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. And the turnover battle will be critical. Week one against Purdue, Louisville fumbled a couple of times inside the the 10-yard line, which led to Purdue points. Turnover battle will be critical in this matchup. So we'll see how it plays out. It is an 8 p.m. kick. When we come back... Rich and I will be talking Texas, USC. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
This is Tony Sicana from the Lineup Luck Show, brought to you by DailyRoto.com. 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern on the Fantasy Sports Network, FNTSY.com slash radio. You can join 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern every Monday through Friday with my man, Dane Martinez. That's right, Dane Martinez, now part of the Lineup Luck Show, because if you're going to have a Lineup Luck Show and you need stats, why not get the spitting statistician? And of course, our goal and our mission will be the same to provide you all the best information so you and your family are not eating ramen noodles and of course bring you a couple laughs so if you are eating ramen noodles it's by choice and you're spinning them all over your clothes and then you don't go outside the house so you can put in more DFS lineups that's the lineup luck show brought to you by the folks at dailyroto.com 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Monday through Friday Huge matchup later tonight in the Coliseum, a rematch of the 2006 BCS National Championship game. Texas and Vince Young got the victory 41-38 over USC and P. Carroll. It's a rematch, Rich. And USC fresh off their dominating yes. 42 to Somebody 24 I know victory was over all the Stanford over USC. Cardinal. They uh, didn't some, go to the poorhouse. Some did they? handsome devil from the East Coast was all over, making me look like a moron because I liked Stanford last week. 623 yeah, yards wow. of total most, offense. Most in the David Shaw era. And listen, I, I'm big enough to admit I was wrong about USC last week. Very impressive. I, I thought the problem was going to be line play because I watched the Western Michigan game. Yeah, they got run on pretty liberally, gave up, I think, 263 yards to Western Michigan, didn't look good at the line of scrimmage. So I figured against big, mighty, physical Stanford, they were going to wilt, but the opposite happened. I mean, USC now has an opportunity, Joe, to use that win as a launching pad to the rest of the season. USC looked legit. Sam Darnold was Sam Darnold. Those young skill pl- uh, players are fantastic. I love Ronald Jones. Reminds me of a young Jamal Charles. Stephen Carr out of the Oof. backfield is contributing. Deontay Burnett. So they look really good. Now, here's my concern with USC. I think they win today and win comfortably. But after really having all of that love heaped on them last week, the national media, Fox, was all over USC. They're ready to go. Clay's got them playing like a champion. I just think that this week we see a little bit of the flaws of USC. Texas comes in with nothing to lose, a lot to gain. Tommy Herman, 5-0 and at Houston when his team is an underdog. That's 5-0 and outright. Five upsets as the underdog. So he knows how to motivate teams that are supposed to lose. Texas played well last week, and I don't want to overstate a San Jose State victory, but coming off of Maryland, Joe, I thought they tackled better. They showed more consistency, more physicality with Chris Warren, 56 to nothing. So I think this is about a 13 or 14 point USC victory. I'll take those. I think 17 is just a little bit heavy. Well, here's the thing that impressed me about USC is their ability to really put the pressure on Keller Chris to match them score for score, not just offensively, but defensively. They were able to get pressures late in the ballgame on critical third down situations. That's secondary now by USC playing very well. They're only allowing 133 passing yards per game entering this matchup. The matchup that you want to see play out is can Texas run the football consistently? You mentioned 
that 56 to nothing victory last week against San Jose State. Texas rushed for over 400 yards on the Spartans. So now going up against USC's front seven that only allowed, I want to say only allowed 170 rushing yards to Bryce Love. One big play. That big play in the second half, they made adjustments. And now you look at this matchup for USC. The one thing I'll say is that they're like a chameleon. There are a couple teams, and we'll get into it a little bit later in the show, that I feel are chameleons. They could play a slower, slow-down tempo type of game, ball control, and they could speed it up with five wide. There's not a lot of teams in college football that can do that. But that being said, I still think the athleticism of guys like Burnett and Mitchell on the outside are way too much for Texas's defense. I know they played better, and this is their year. To, this is their year right here, week number three, because of the negativity surrounding that week one loss. I still think USC dominates this matchup. You're thinking like three touchdowns? I can, yeah, I think yeah. it could be two, you know, 14 points much of the way. Yeah. You know, but high scoring, yeah. 42-28, and then uh, two late, yeah. uh, late touchdowns. I see USC it, it, winning this ballgame 24 points or more. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, USC looked so good. I, I think as long as they are... You know, as long as they don't get in their heads and think too much about last week, USC has the talent. I mean, I was very impressed with what they did against Stanford. Nobody puts up over 600 yards of offense on a Stanford, David Shaw type of Lance Anderson type of a team. So that was very impressive. I think in terms of Texas, the key is going to be Chris Warren. I mean, they're going to have to be physical. Connor Williams, their offensive tackle, could be a future first-round draft choice. They're going to have to win the line of scrimmage against USC, take some of the pressure off of those quarterbacks because Shane Bouchelle, their starter, is not 100%. Sam Ellinger could get the start, could play most of the game. He's a true freshman, highly touted, but this is just his third football game at this level playing in the Coliseum. So you don't want Sam Ellinger to have to do too much. Chris Warren is the key. He's a big back, 250 yards, plays as if he's channeling Deontay Foreman, just the way he runs, big, physical, bruising back. Once he gets into the secondary, he'll carry defensive backs on his back. So that is going to be the key. Can you keep this game close? Can you keep Texas interested in the second half? I'm banking on Tom Herman keeping this close because he's done it before. But again, I'll say a two-touchdown victory, not a lot lot of margin for error for me because I think this is a 16 or a 17-point spread. USC is the class of this game. Texas just needs to show well in order to build some momentum. And Gerard Hurd is supposed to play in that game as well. Maybe out of the Wildcat, he's a mobile type of quarterback. So sense. it's all yeah, hands on sense. deck for yeah. that. I will say this about USC, that their ability to run the football now in two games. Rush for 232 yards, week number one against Western Michigan. They followed that up last week, 307 yards on the ground. Now, since 2016, they're 7-1 and one every time they rush for over 200, a balanced type of offense. For me, that's the, that's the key for USC because if they can wear down Texas in this ballgame and jump up just the way they did against Stanford, that's going to put a lot of pressure on, I want to say, an inexperienced quarterback, if it is Ellinger or Gerard Hurd, not a consistent quarterback to play catch-up, yeah. and that's why I like USC later today, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's a very intriguing battle. We'll get BJ's take about it because I do want to see what the mindset of the program is surrounding Texas after Charlie Strong. You see the success that he's having at South Florida, and we said it before, that defense last year by Texas was not good. They allowed 31 points per game and 189 yards on the ground. They need a better effort. I think the talent, Joe, is better than the numbers. I I look at these kids, Apuna Ford up front, Malik Jefferson at linebacker, Holton Hill in the secondary. They have experience 
experience. They have talent. They have former three, four, five star type kids. It's going to take a Todd Orlando, one of the better young defensive coordinators in the country. He is going to have to mold that into a consistent, aggressive type of a unit. He likes to attack. He likes to create takeaways. He likes to create pressure in the backfield. But it's going to take time. I do think, though, the talent is better than what Charlie was able to do last year. That's why throughout the season I thought Texas, as the year progresses, could be a sneaky good team out of the Big 12. Not winning the Big 12, but once you get to midseason into November... Texas could be a dangerous team. And and again, I'm worried about the psyche of USC. If USC comes out and lays it to Texas today in front of a national TV audience, I think that's a scary program because now you've gotten through Western Michigan, you've gotten through Stanford, through Texas. Their Pac-12 slate is not that tough. USC can go on a ridiculous roll throughout the regular season schedule. And build confidence throughout the year. And that's the one thing, especially if you have a confident team. They won nine straight to end the year with Sam Darnold. So uh, he's undefeated in his last, uh, what, 11 games now? The Utah game last year was the only loss. Yeah, he started that game. And then they were 9-1 with him with that Rose Bowl victory. So they're 11-1 with Sam Darnold at the helm. 11 straight wins, though, with Sam Darnold at at the quarterback position. I will say this about Texas and Tom Herman. They have nothing to lose in this ballgame. Offensively and defensively, yeah. be aggressive because nobody's expecting you to win this ballgame. And if you play well, yeah. that can carry you through Big 12 play. I, I think, you know, I'm not big on moral victories. Certainly coaches aren't. But, but nobody expects Texas to win this game. You know, you're facing USC in the Coliseum, more than a touchdown underdog. This is the type of game that if you show well, if this is competitive in the second half, I think it's something that Texas can build off of. You know, because we saw in week one, they're not ready for prime time with the loss to Maryland. That's obvious. But I do like the way they bounced back last week. There was no residue from the opening day loss. San Jose State is a team that put a little scare into South Florida in week one, so they have some talent on both sides of the ball. To lay it to them 56 to nothing to get back to running the ball, playing physical, and again, the tackling. That was an issue during the Charlie Strong era. Poor tackling in the open field. They seem to have sort of uh, rectified that. Again, it was San Jose State. It's not, you know, obviously USC. But nonetheless, They're moving in the right direction. I'm very curious to see if they can continue to move forward against a much better opponent. And that's what this weekend is so special because it's not a lot of top 25 games, but it's a lot of contrast in styles. Which team could dictate the tempo and really work the other team in terms of game plan? So we'll see how these games play out because that's what's intriguing to me. Another one is Oklahoma State later today. We're about two hours away uh, against Pittsburgh in Heinz Field. It's a, a rematch of last year where Oklahoma State State won that matchup 42 to 35. This is a Pittsburgh team that lost last week in Happy Valley 33 to 14 to arch rival in state Penn State. Got worn down on the offensive defensive lines, and Oak State rolled against South Alabama. It's going to be a tough environment, but I still like this offense with Mason Rudolph now. I mean, back to back 300 yard games. Yeah. I, I think they're one of the most explosive offenses in college football. I think they dominate today by 17 What I really like about Oklahoma State at this point, I mean, I don't, I, don't get too, I don't really get too mystified by shiny objects when it comes to college football. <laughs> so if you're only an offensive outfit, it's fun to watch, but you have a cap. What I see from Oklahoma State, albeit against weaker competition, is that defense is getting better. 
to Quentin Osborne up front. Little by little, these guys are becoming more competent. They're making more plays. I don't care who the opponent is. Confidence is being built on defense. They're getting closer to being a complete football team. Pitt, by the way, 120th through two games in yards per play. 119th in yards per play allowed. So they're doing nothing on either side of the ball. Listen, they got everything out against Penn State. That was their rivalry game. I don't think you see the same enthusiasm out of Pitt this week now, against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State held South Alabama to 175 total yards. They're creating turnovers. And if you give Mason Rudolph and James Washington and Jalen McCleskey a short field, they're going to score points. We'll see how that game plays out. We'll come back with our prediction on the back end. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Since 1995, Real-Time Fantasy Sports has been the most trusted site in the fantasy industry. Home to an award-winning commissioner service and endless money leagues offered at a variety of formats and skill levels, RTSports.com is the only destination for the fantasy player who wants it all. Plus, RT Sports offers the most reliable and quickest payouts for any level of fantasy player. Do you like trades? Well, yeah. Do you hate trades? Yeah, sure. Want a league for just three weeks? No problem. RTSports.com offers it all. And to ease the gameplay for all kinds of players, we're optimized for desktop, phone, or your tablet, making it simple to play wherever, whenever. Ready to get started? Head to RTSports.com slash lobby to check out all the games we have to offer and sign up to play today. RTSports.com. Everything a fantasy player could ever want under one award-winning roof. Continuing the conversation with a great battle, Big 12, ACC, Oklahoma State, and Mason Rudolph, Max Brown, and Pittsburgh. Rich, for me, this game comes down to former offensive coordinator Matt Canada, now at LSU. You're talking about a Pittsburgh team last year that averaged 38 points per game, a wide-open attack that can run the football and pass it through the air with Nate Peterman. Now, to me, a one-dimensional offense that has struggled with Max Brown, the former USC quarterback. I think the only way Pittsburgh could be in this ballgame is if they run the football, ball control attack with Olison, their running back, and slow down the tempo to keep Mason Rudolph on the sidelines. And it's possible. I mean, they have some quality offensive linemen led by Brian O'Neill. It wouldn't shock me if they could run the ball. But at some point in this game... Mason Rudolph's going to take the top off the defense. Justin, uh, Justice Hill, one of the fastest backs in the country, is going to sprint towards the end zone. And, and it's going to become, you know, a 17-7 to Oklahoma State game. Pitt's going to realize that ball control is not going to cut it. It's going to have to come on the arm of Max Brown. Have not been impressed by Max Brown. No. Have not been impressed by their pass protection. Pitt, in general, has looked pitiful through two games. Penn State, Youngstown State kind of uh, got dragged into an alley fight against Youngstown State, did not play well. I, I think Pat Narduzzi is in danger of losing this team at this point. I see a comfortable, somewhere in the neighborhood of 45-24, to 45-21 to 21 type Oklahoma State victory. Again, Cowboys are, cl- are, are on the verge of becoming a complete football team. I could see some turnovers, a big play, Oklahoma State getting fired up. And listen... We all talk about Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. I mean, listen, Mason Rudolph, 
is as good as any quarterback in the country, and I think he's out to prove it today. Last year, he passed for 540 yards on that defense. I mean, he tore them up, and James Washington, first play of the game, took the top off the defense, much to your point, like they said. Now, I'll say this about Oklahoma State. The one thing that has impressed me, not only offensively, is that the defense has been very solid in run support. Last year, they got ripped. They allowed a lot of opponents over 200 yards, especially in Big 12 play. You're talking about a team in Pittsburgh that was ranked 127th out of 128 teams last year in pass defense. 333 passing yards to opposing offenses. Second last to Arizona State at 357. They gave up 310 week number one to Youngstown State. Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley didn't challenge that defense vertically. They took away the deep ball, but they just got pounded in the interior. And now Mike they go Kosicki back. had a big yeah, game. Right, they go yeah. back home. They could be worn out, and now they have to face an up-tempo speed attack like Mason Rudolph. I mean, that's going to be the matchup. Which team is going to come out and dictate the tempo early on? And again, I stressed it last week. I'll say it for one more week because he's suspended one more week. Jordan Whitehead is clearly Pitt's best defensive back. I mean, this is a quality, all-ACC safety, can do it all for Pittsburgh. He is suspended for the third straight game. Pitt will not have him on the back end. And again, I think coming off of that emotional game against Penn State, I think the Panthers invested a lot into that matchup. Not going to say it was their Super Bowl, it was their season, but that was a big game. They wanted to get Penn State in back-to-back years. Didn't happen. They played a little better than I than I expected. It was 33-14, to 14, so Pitt was competitive, more competitive than I thought it was going to be. I'm not sure they really have an A game in them today, and once Oklahoma State starts to take off, I don't think Pittsburgh has the offense to narrow the gap. So again, I, I think this spread is what, about 14, 15 points? It's down to like 12 now. Is it down to yet? 12? Yeah, I, I would lay the points. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that Oklahoma State team. And Mike Gundy, to me, I, I, I think he's, if not the most underrated, clearly one of the most underrated coaches in the country. Couldn't agree more. I think Oklahoma State is the superior team. I picked them as one of my top teams in the playoff this year. I'm not backing down now. I still think even after Oklahoma's dominant victory in the horseshoe, they're the most complete team in the Big 12. I think they win by 17 or more a little bit later today. Another, I want to say, blue-collar battle yeah. here in Provo. Roll up the sleeves. Alex Hornibrook in Wisconsin yeah. on the road against BYU, coming off a disappointing loss last week to Utah. Huntley passed for over 300. Tanner Magnum, their starting quarterback, is listed as doubtful. I don't expect him to play in this ballgame. Doesn't look like he's going to suit up. And you're talking about a BYU offense that has become one-dimensional in 2017, only rushing for 76 yards on the ground. Put a, uh, has put a lot of pressure on the offensive line. Compared to last year, they were up with Jamal Williams over 200. This is going to be a critical game for BYU season overall. Again, I don't think they win this matchup, but playing in Provo, I yeah. could see the Cougars being in this game from start to finish. I, I I agree with you. We've now agreed twice in a row, which, which might Shocker. be a, one of the signs of the apocalypse. <laughs> it's a possibility. We're getting a hurricane soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Listen, BYU has been bad this season. They have really been ineffective offensively. And if you lose Mangum and his arm, you don't get better by losing your veteran best passer on the team. It looks as if Bo Hodge, Merrill Hodge's son, will get the call. He's inexperienced. We don't know what to expect. He's not going to be Tanner Mangum. I think points will come at a premium 
not just for BYU, but for Wisconsin as well. Because as bad as BYU has been, this is still a physical defense that can defend the run. Jonathan Taylor, the true freshman from New Jersey, has been spectacular in his start to his career. But I, I think without the compliment of Alex Hornibrook, I think they're going to have some problem scoring points. To me, this shapes up as a... 24 to 14 type game. BYU is getting a ton of points at home. I know BYU not very good this year, but this is still a proud program in Provo getting, I believe, 16 or 17 points. That looks to be a little bit heavy at this point. At one of these weeks, BYU is going to show some muscle. Wisconsin still struggling to find playmakers on offense. I think it's a low-scoring game, Joe, at which time I would say take the points. Well, the big change for BYU's defense overall, and we said it at the start when I previewed Mountain West Conference play and we talked about BYU with the independents, the way you beat BYU is over the top of their secondary, and that's what Huntley did last week, and Utah stretched them vertically. Can Alex Hornibrook do the same thing? Last year, BYU only allowed 112 rushing yards on the ground. Entering this ballgame, they're allowing 166 yards to opposing offenses running the football. Now, they did play LSU. They did play another physical team in Utah. Now they face another physical team in Wisconsin. If they get beat up in this in this game, especially in run support, this can carry through the whole season for yeah. BYU. You're talking about a team that was nine and four last year. At, at this pace, if they can't find an offense, I wonder if they can find bowl eligibility. I, I mean, they have been so poor. And yes, LSU, Utah. You're talking about two of the more physical defensive teams that you're going to find in the country. The one concern I would have about BYU, we just talked about it with Pittsburgh, a little bit of a letdown after a rivalry week. Last week was the Holy War, so I'm a little bit concerned. You know, they put they invested a lot into the Holy War, came up short for a seventh, seventh straight season. So what does BYU have in the tank? Maybe a young quarterback getting his first start. Maybe a Bo Hodge can provide a little bit of a spark, a little bit of enthusiasm. Tanner Mangum is not a very mobile quarterback. Hodge is more mobile outside of the pocket, which would help against that Wisconsin defense. I'm not high on BYU. I understand their shortcomings. But again... Provo, at night, I believe it's at night. Yeah, I think it's a 3.30 start. I think It's at I, night somewhere. I think it's at night maybe in the Far East it might be at night. It's, it's at night somewhere. I think it's a 3.30 start. I'll check that in the break. But You're probably right. But nonetheless, it's Provo, and it's a lot of points against a Wisconsin team. Listen, Wisconsin last week against Florida Atlantic, I mean, Jonathan Taylor had 223 yards. The rest of the offense didn't really contribute too much. They did not. They were not prolific against Florida Atlantic this week. So I think they're still developing offensively. Yeah, I, I, in order for BYU to win, this ball game. They're going to have to take some chances. They're going to have to pass on first and second down to take the pressure off the offensive line. They cannot become one-dimensional with a young signal uh, signal caller, third down in long situations. You need to roll the uh, dice and become aggressive. We'll see if they can do it. This is a team that lost four games last year by a total yeah. of eight points. There was a lot of optimism with this team entering this year with Tanner Mangum that set BYU passing records as a freshman Ty Dentmer, the offensive coordinator, has not done a good job in terms of cultivating that that 
quarterback talent with Taysom Hill and now Tanner Mangum. And, and that's the identity of BYU football. And, and any fans who have watched BYU through the years, what do you think of when it's BYU? It's it's the Detmers. It's <laughs> Robbie Bosco. It's Jim McMahon. It's quarterback play. And they haven't had a, pl- a prolific passer in years because Taysom Hill was not that guy. I mean, granted, he was never healthy, but they need to be able to stretch the field, open things up for those backs, come up with a Jamal Williams every couple of years to balance out that offense. It doesn't exist right now. And I think fans in Provo are justifiably concerned over how this season is going to finish out for Kalani Sataki in his second year. Going back to the days of Gary Croton with Brandon uh, Doman and Luke Staley. Gary remember, Croton. I, I remember Gary Croton more as a coach than a player. That's what that's I'm saying. Yeah, though, Gary yeah. Croton with Luke yeah. Staley and Brandon Doman. That yeah. team was undefeated. Uh, didn't they play Tulane yes. and then Sean King in the yes. ball game? Yeah. I'm showing my age. I'm so, yeah. Sean, uh, uh, wasn't a Bowden the Tulane coach? Yes, it was uh, Tommy Bowden. Tommy, that's right. Tommy, Tommy before he went to Clemson. Wow. Yeah. Showing our age here on the show. Nothing better on a Saturday. Uh, nothing ever. wrong with aging. <laughs> We're trying Here's, to age gracefully. This here. game has me very excited. Purdue on the road in Columbia against Drew Locke in Missouri. I know we're going to be battling I'm right I'm here. Just... Every uh, Purdue playing very well. Uh, dominating victory, forty-four to twenty-one over Ohio. David Blau playing very well. Drew Locke not playing very well, so go ahead. Completing 53% of his passes, though. That's horrible. Uh, 53% of his passes when one of those games was against Missouri State. I mean, come on. I I warned you last week that Missouri, when they face a decent opponent, they go into a shell. Please tell me you're not on. Missouri is... Missouri later today. That's one of my best picks for the weekend. Drew Locke, Jamal Moore... They get it done. When we come back, we'll be breaking this game down. Keep it where it is. Joe Lee, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Sports Grid delivers sports news with a twist, including rumors, fantasy, and everything else fans love to read when they're supposed to be working. Come to SportsGrid.com for the other side of the story. Talking about my favorite matchup today, Purdue on the road in Columbia to face Drew Locke. I'm all over the Missouri Tigers in this battle, one of my best picks of the day. I think they win this game from a speed perspective. I'm picking the score, Rich, 48-28. They're able to attack Purdue's secondary that's given up 300 passing yards per game. You know, Joe, I, I, every year you, you find that one team that you get on and, and you ride like a three-legged donkey. I, I, last year it was Purdue. You wouldn't get off Purdue. Purdue could have been playing at a one-man disadvantage now look at every them. week. I know you were a year off. You might be a year off with Missouri, too. Listen, I, I think this is – I agree with you. It's going to be a shootout. I think it'll be a fun game for fans who want to watch this matchup. If you like offense, you like young passers, Drew Locke of Missouri, David Blau, uh, and Elijah Sindelar of Purdue. I, I think it'll be a fun game to watch. But in a case like this, like Missouri – 
you know, they, they, they've set records against Missouri State in week one. In week two, when they faced a, a, an opponent with a pulse in South Carolina, they just shriveled up. They scored 13 points. They were awful. Drew Locke was below 50%. So I, I, they might cover this game, but I can't see being that high in Missouri. During the week, they fired their defensive yes. coordinator, DeMonte Cross, after two weeks. That's a, that's a sign of a team that might be unraveling. So my thought on this game is Mizzou might win. I think there will be plenty of points. But in a game where you're going to have a back-and-forth shootout, you've got the Purdue team that's playing really well, faced Louisville, gave them a test, blew out Ohio in Week 2. Purdue is playing better. Yes, they're on the road. But they're getting points in a shootout. Give me the seven and a half points. Mizzou might win. I'm I'm just surprised you're as you're as high on the Tigers as you are. It's a speed advantage. I think it's an SEC team going up against a team that was one and eight in the Big Ten last year. That's what I look at. Offensive line could be an issue for Purdue. There, he allowed five sacks through two games. Missouri through two games. Even though they played Missouri State, has five sacks on the year. Barry Odom, I think, will take that defense over. And I just like the playmakers of Missouri. I think Drew Locke is a more confident quarterback. Jeff Brom's gone with a two quarterback system. Them. Even though David Blau is playing well, they're still learning a new scheme. And I just think for me, Missouri understands their offense. Coming off a tough loss to South Carolina, 31-13, they did have a 10-0 lead in the second quarter of that matchup. I think they roll 48-28. Missouri wins this matchup and moves to 2-1 and one on the year. And real quickly, I disagree. I would take the points. But in terms of the offensive line, yes, offensive line issues for Purdue. I don't think they get exposed right now, surprisingly because D-Line Zoo in Columbia typically has some great pass rushers. I like Charles Harris. Uh, I, I think he has a bright future, but one sack last week against South Carolina. So that Missouri pass rush has been impotent so far this year, certainly against another SEC opponent. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet with Jeff Brom. I'm going to take the points. Purdue sold me with the way they played against Ohio because coming off the emotional loss to Louisville, wasn't sure what to expect from the Boilermakers against a well-coached Ohio team. You're smiling at me. I don't know why. Against a well-coached Ohio team that plays good defense, I thought Purdue played very well. I think that was a 44-21 victory. Rich likes Purdue. I like Missouri. Don't buy it, Governor, because I know we'll be bucking heads right here. Kansas State and Bill Snyder on the road to face Derek Mason and Vanderbilt. Upset City Vandy, 28-24 over Kansas State. This was a Kansas State team that won nine games last year, eight against FBS opponents with a combined overall record of 39-60. and Don't believe the hype. Vandy wins this game outright. I am not going to. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who I like in this game, but I'm going to hold <laughs> off. I'm just going to say that in a weekend where there are not a lot of top 25 matchups, this is a fantastic game between two similarly styled teams. I'd like to talk a little bit more on the back end. We will keep it where it is. We're coming right back. We're talking top 25. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Mm-hmm. 